Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you, Father. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Now, as we come to the ministry of God's word, I pray, Father, everyone, the youngest to the oldest in your house, and the others who will hear over the net, over the weeks, the days, the months, everyone will take something from this. That you would speak to us. You would touch us. You would continue to encourage us and exhort us through your word to keep our eyes fixed on you. To think about the things that are above and not on the things that are below. Because the things that are below are temporary and passing. While the things that are above are eternal. Help us to keep our eyes on the eternal. Even now, as we hear, help us to hear with that eternal perspective, Lord. Speak to us, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. We are here right at the second week of 2019. But remember, we are still in our uh, second half of our 11th year, the second half. But uh, many, many here may be much older than that, older than the church in your salvation. This year, people should be moving far, far beyond your salvation factor or your complacency factor with assurance. A lot of people do not go beyond uh, their salvation factor and remain constantly children, spiritual children all their life because they are not able to break the cycle of sin it's the same sin. Whatever it is, don't negate the power of any sin. Even fear. Any sin. Or anger. Or bitterness. Or bigger ones, however you want to grade it. Any sin can put you in a circle. That you go in that circle. And like Jacob, fear was in his life for how many years? Theologians will say different things. But one of the things is that when he met God at Peniel, he must have been 97 years old. So 97 years old, bound in this circle of fear, unable to go to his destiny. His destiny is Jacob to Israel, but he's not able to cross because crippled by fear. Okay, or anger, or jealousy. So people are growing physically, growing with worldly knowledge, but not growing in their salvation, constantly being a child. In, in the kingdom of God, which is safe for salvation, but terrible for destiny. So you need to move this year, move into purpose. You should ask God, yes, I thank you, Lord, you saved me. But what is my purpose? What do you want me to do? Like Paul, be courageous to ask that question. What do you want me to do? And you need to ask, what do I need to do? Also to better the gift, the skill God has endured or given me. Others may be there, gone beyond this factor, but you have gifts which God has given you. And uh, no, I'm working on Pastor Vijay. Music, music Vijay. You're good with the word. Keep working, but music Vijay. Telugu, especially Telugu. 
Telugu songs and the guitar because I believe God will open doors for him in these two states. You know, so work on it. Gift, skill God has endowed us with. What do I need to do constantly to keep the anointing flowing? Two different things. There are absolutely two different things. One, working on my skills, the gift, talent God has given. The other, what do I need to do inside that the anointing doesn't get blocked? That I'm not working today on yesterday's anointing, but on today's, it keeps flowing. Okay? What should I do, Lord, that you, Christ in me, will impact your history? How do I keep surrendering to the will of God and his sovereignty? 2019, start looking at life differently. Absolutely differently. Because if you believe in the promise, you have to make appropriate changes in your thinking and in your life. Like Paul said in Second Timothy 4, the very famous words at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. You see, he saw Christian life both as a race and as a battle. And you have to see it. We are battling things that oppose us, opposes the Christ in us from moving to our destiny and yet it is a race. In the world, it is a race, but it is called in English a rat race. It's not finishing your race, it's your rat race. Okay, go check in your dictionary what does rat race mean in English. Okay, it's a different kind of race everybody follows in the world. And there is a battle in the world to fight. It is a fight with flesh and blood and not with principalities and powers of darkness. So even in the world, there is a race, a rat race and a battle which is with people and not with powers of darkness in your prayer closet. So see life as a race once you are a believer and life as a battle. And in this battle and race, keep your eyes on your leader, the captain of horse, host Jesus. He's the general. Can we have these two lights off, please? Keep your eyes on Christ Jesus. And you have to understand his sovereignty and his leadership. He's like a coach in a game. Not perfect examples. Or a general in a battle. Like a coach in football. Or basketball. Not tennis. Tennis is an individual game. He's playing for himself. Football, cricket and all are... uh, It's a team game. So the coach should have incredible say. So the coach may call out a player in the middle of the game and send in another. Okay? See it that way. Okay? See it. In this race, you're not running your you're not running your race alone. You're also in a team race. And the general may just pull you out of the game. Me, It's time for you to die. And I'm sending somebody in. And you accept it. Okay? So understand this. This is not a selfish race. It is a selfless race. That's why it is about the kingdom of God. The gospel is the gospel about the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of man. It's not about us. That's why they first seek the kingdom and his righteousness and not individual glory. Like General Jesus may 
pull in David, Saul, and send in David. Accept. Saul didn't accept. He didn't accept the Lord's direction. And he tried to kill the one who was to replace him. Okay? Or God could tell in the New Testament, in his timing, Stephen, you are dying. Accept it. And go in grace. And go in victory. He did. And as he is dying, God is picking another one who will change history. Okay, you have to understand that. You are all of us in Malayalam, we have a saying. It's a saying. It's quite scriptural, not from scripture. In Malayalam, it says like this. Swaram Meaning, when your voice is good, stop singing. Not when you start croaking. Okay? So, leave it to God. Don't push into places where you have not been called. And when God says it's over, it's over. Step back. Because this is not about you. This is the Christ in you who is working through different people. So if you see another one through whom Christ is getting glory, you stand back and applaud and be part of the cloud of witnesses. Because none of us are running for individual glory. We are running for Christ's glory. Okay? So Stephen's death will be more important to the kingdom of God than his life. Because God has orchestrated the whole set of events. He has testified to the Sanhedrin and they have pulled him out. They are stoning him to death and the ones who are stoning him to death has taken their clothes and put it on the feet of a young man who is watching. And a few days later, that man will be touched by Jesus. And you need to realize, this death is probably that prepared his heart to accept Jesus as Nazareth as the Messiah. So God has his ways, accept his ways, always individually surrender because the kingdom is more important than anybody. The game, the team is more important than any individual player. That's why you have two Indian players back back sent to India before the first one day because of a comment they made in a show on a TV. Send them back. Okay, young boys, go check it out. What they said and what kind of a show was and why were two Indian players who reached their peak in international cricket just before the one-day match sent back because the team management decided what they said was totally inappropriate. Therefore, they cannot represent India in the international forum. This is not about how great you are. This is bigger than you. Understand, if nations make decisions like that, God says, I'm pulling people out, I'm putting people in, except how it is. Okay? And that's how Paul becomes that great apostle who would literally be, become God's hammer against powers and principalities. That's why also Psalm 116 and verse 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Not all deaths. Death of those who are part of God's plan and they even realize my death is a part of God's plan. It brings God glory. Every death doesn't bring God glory. But there are in the Bible certain deaths bring great God, great glory. Because their death itself is an impetus to the kingdom moving farther. Okay, say Lord, let me my death be like that. Let it not be in vain. That's why 
in Matthew 6 and verse 33, at the center of the Sermon on the Mount, will define what life is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything you need for this life as his purpose, God will come, God will add. We don't have to worry about that. We just keep seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. But the question is, how did this command therefore define our life and our choices? This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6.33. You don't have to go there. Middle. How did the Sermon on the Mount actually, let me ask you, change the way you think completely? Like this time when I was over there, when I had to ask them, no? Ask them, no. How, how do you rate the Sermon on the Mount? Has it changed your thinking? Because everybody is talking about, like in, in Hindi and Nepali, it is interesting, better than uh, English. Because dhan, dhanya. Dhan, I say, ho jo atma mein garib hai. How does dhan and garib come together? So you will change your theology if you go through that. It's a mind-blowing sermon from that mount which has changed the way people need to think. Look at its parallel in Luke chapter 6. Then he lifted up his eyes towards his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for your kingdom, for yours is the kingdom of God. And he actually means the poor, not just here, poor in the spirit. He actually means the poor, even those who don't have money. Because the more money you have, the more independent you become. The less money you have, the more dependent you actually. Actually, poverty is a very good thing to keep you close to God. Like we used to say in the old days, it is good to live hand to mouth as long as it is his hand and your mouth. Blessed are those who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are who you hunger now. For you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now. For you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. And indeed your reward is great in heaven. For in this manner their fathers did to the prophets. Complete change in thinking. God says start thinking differently. But woe to you who are rich. Now you don't see that in Matthew. Woe to you who are rich. For you have received your consolation. You have lived comfortably, abused others who are weaker, poorer than you because of your riches and your position. That's why James will say, you rich people, be careful. Your riches will reach there. The cry of those you oppress because of your riches. Because of the power and the position which riches brought you. And you oppress those who are below you. The cry has received, reached your master. Remember, what you are rich, for you have received your consolation. What you are full, for you shall hunger. Remember the rich man in hell? drop of water, please. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Like Pastor Vili actually said on Wednesday, there will be after the first excitement, there will be mourning in heaven. When you realize okay, I just made it, that's all. It's like somebody who just passed his exam class 10 and doesn't get admission for class 11 and for the next 15 years is going with his mark sheet trying to get a job and every place disqualified Going through all of eternity, Lord, can I serve you? God says, sorry, you cannot. Disqualified. Sit and eat for the rest of your 
not life eternity. Regret. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. False reputation. Running after false reputation in which there is no truth. God says, woe. Change the way you think. But these are things people run after. God says, don't run after these things. The question is, why do we go wrong in our theology? Theology is the knowledge of God. Why do we go wrong as believers? Or how do we stay firm all through our life? What is it? You see, Jesus made it very clear. The issue is, we will keep going wrong in our building our life if our foundations are wrong. In any building, the most important part is the foundation. Today I will do a little of Dr. Vijay Itakota, okay? I, actually, I like that illustration he gave in the beginning of the Wednesday. I had no, I had no internet, I had no 4G. 4G was very weak, so I was sitting at Bagdogra Airport and listening, and I said, hey, that's a real. But then I thought as a classroom teacher too, and said, he just said it. And I'm sure half of them didn't understand the, the, the impact Back of what it actually really means if you take mathematics and apply it to life. The important of foundations, the important of basics. Children need to understand. Can I have the first slide, Sammy? Okay, the actual number is, think for a minute, the actual number. Okay, I don't want you to miss the slide. The actual number, let us say, somebody asks me, Spend or give thousand rupees. That is the actual. This is single digits, tens, hundred, thousands. Only putting four. You can go more. I got it wrong and I wrote two. Now the loss is a thousand rupees. I went wrong in the tens column. Now the loss is only two hundred rupees. I went wrong in the hundreds column. Now you see the loss is only 20 rupees. You see I went wrong in the fourth column. You see I went wrong only by two digits. That's how it works in life. If you get your foundations wrong. If you went wrong here, it may even cost you eternity. It may cost you eternity. It's not so much. You look at the people who jumped back, though they made mistakes, you will see their foundations were absolutely solid. Absolutely solid. Absolutely solid. I was listening to it. I said, oh, why didn't my internet work? If I had only got this two days earlier, I would have told the young people, all the young children, you know what? I got a slide for you. You see, today I am the mathematician, not Dr. Vijay. But if you ask me to go beyond that, you won't learn maths, you may end up learning error. Okay? So foundations. So some of us may be sitting here or hearing on the net, maybe this year, the beginning of the year, may have to go back and work exclusively on our foundations. It's always important to get your foundations, basics right. 
because the damage will be known only as the time passes. The problem is, unlike in math, nobody is checking your life. And if your foundations are wrong, you will realize the error of the construction only much later in life. And you have gone so forward, it is almost impossible. I'm not saying it is not possible, but to go back and change. It's very, very difficult. I'm telling you, it's very, very difficult. Let's look at two verses from the book of Hebrews. Chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation. This is the foundation of a Christian's life. Foundation. Say foundation. This is the foundation. Repentance from dead works. One. Faith toward God. Two. This is single digit. This is tens of the doctrine of baptism by the time you reach the hundreds of laying of hands thousands resurrection of the dead you move to your ten thousand and eternal judgment. You see in case you only got your single digit, what do you call that column? Units column and tens column, right? You still make it into eternity. Still come through. Even if you earned in the hundred, uh, the hundred and the thousand and uh, you achieve nothing, you never fulfill God's purpose, but you still make it. But if you get your units and your tens wrong, you're in big trouble. Real, real big. Can I have the next slide? So, repentance from dead works is up there at the top. Up there at the top. Never change the order. This is the first brick. Repentance from dead works. And the second is faith towards God. Both. Actually, they should be on par. Two together. Repentance from dead works. And faith towards God. This is the two foundational block. No believer can ever, ever stop going back to all the days of his life. Because this is these two things from our side on which our salvation is built. That's why in Corinthians 13, 5, 2 Corinthians, when scripture says, examine your faith. How do you examine your faith? You need to look at your foundations. That's how you look at your faith. Are my foundations, why, why is my life so shaky? Is my foundations right? Dependence from dead works, faith towards God, I'm telling you, these are the two of the most important bricks. Let me ask you this question. Where did Esau go wrong? Can I have the slide back again? Where did Esau go wrong? He went wrong here. He went wrong there. That's where Esau went wrong. In the units column, he went wrong in repentance. And therefore the loss was immense at the end. And the new covenant, thousands and thousands of years later, picks up the son of Isaac, the elder son of Isaac, who was supposed to be the firstborn and receive the firstborn's blessing, 
mentions about him in Hebrews, lest there be any fornicator, profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for. He couldn't repent. You see, this was the place when he fell, this was the place he should have repented. Then again when he fell, this was the place he repented. Again when you fall, this was the place. But you don't repent. You don't build your life on repentance. Okay? Now you have reached here. Now you understand repentance with your mind. But you're not able to change in your heart. It's over. Not able to. You know. It torments you. You know this is what I need to do, but you're not able to change. Because there's a time and a season for. I'm not saying it is impossible. It is possible, but it will cost you. It will cost you. And the problem is, are you willing to pay that price? There is a place in life for all this, how you build your life. So when you're building your life, young ones and older ones, depending upon whatever time you came to the Lord, be very careful, your foundation is absolutely According to the word of God. Because you see Esau later in life could not change. And this is true about so many. Including the firstborn of Adam and Eve called Cain. What God is trying to do with Cain in Genesis 4 and verse 9. Is Lord where is Abel your brother? As if God does not know. He asks the same question. First he asks Adam. Where are you? Asking what? Trying to lead them into repentance. Lord, I am so sorry. I goofed up. Forgive me. No. That's the first thing God tries to. Because scripture says, Jesus did not come to condemn, but to save. Even in the Garden of Eden, when Jesus came, he did not come to condemn, he came to save. But when we reject his salvation, all he can do is condemn. And he didn't condemn us in so many ways. We condemned ourselves. So when God comes to the garden, he says, where are you? He comes to the eldest son born who has killed his younger brother. He says, where are you? Where is your brother? He's trying to lead him into repentance. He says, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's keeper? He goes into denial. Goes into denial. And you have to see, you have to see the consequences, you have to spiritually see the consequences of this. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the curses that is pronounced because of Adam and Eve. The earth is also cursed when Adam and Eve did not repent and they walked, they went into sin. You know what in chapter 3 says, Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, curses the ground for your sake. In your toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. He says, you will eat, but you will struggle. You will never enjoy your life. Never enjoy your life. You will work hard, you will work hard, you will make money, but not a day will you enjoy. No peace. No peace. You will not enjoy. Because curse is the ground for your sake. In your in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall not heed the herb of the field. You shall not. Saying, what will your ground, your workplace produce for you, your home produce for you? Thorns and thistles. Painful. It's, life is always painful. And you know what? You're not able to eat the herb because healing is in the herb. There will be no healing in your life. You will not eat the herb of the field. You know why? Because you refuse the first block in your life. 
which is called repentance. But when it comes to Cain's second generation, when he refuses to repent, the curse is different. On top of this, verse 11 and 12. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. He says, there is a difference in you disobeying God. There is a curse that has come and you did not repent. Now we have used your mouth or your hand to destroy your brother. And you still don't repent. You still justify. He says, the ground has opened to take your brother's blood. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be. Not only will you not have healing from the first curse, you will be a wanderer all your life. It's one of the things which I tell people everywhere. How many churches have you changed in your life? Why? You're a wanderer. You're a vagabond. Because until you repent... You will not find peace. Go back and look. Did you use your mouth to spill your brother's or sister's blood? Mess their life up. You are a vagabond. Don't walk like that. At least repent at the end of your life and go home peacefully. Because these are things that don't go. Your foundational block of life in Christ is the foundation of repentance. And Cain... And Esau, all of them, they couldn't repent. They didn't have it. It was impossible. They knew in their head. They even cried. No change of heart. They couldn't change. No. Actually, today's uh, message title is Check Your Default Settings. Okay? Because what happens automatically by default, you go to that old settings and you're still functioning. Okay? That's basically what happens. It's Now it's a blood curse. Repent. In Acts chapter 5 and verse 31, when the gospel is preached, scripture says, in him God has exalted, him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. God is saying, you know, where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. Where there is no repentance, there is no forgiveness. Repentance is the first link of that chain that leads, or that cord that leads to salvation. The first is repentance. And that's why I have issue with all these modern day gospels, where they never talk about repentance. Repentance is the first thing. There is a time to get your foundation right. Do it. We ignore it at our own peril and keep on building. And may only know later in life that it will be very difficult to change. God showed that in a vision to the 11 brothers through that one brother in Genesis 37 and word 7. There we were binding sheaves in the field and behold my sheaf arose and stood upright and indeed your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. What is Joseph at 17 seeing? He's seeing something into the future 20, 21, 22, 24, 30, 40, 50 years later what you see. You see my life is upright but all you will be able to do in life is ask for mercy. 
Nothing beyond that. All bent down. Because all your life, what are you doing? Trying to get the first block of life right. And you look at the brothers, 21 years later, before Joseph. Jacob is dead. Again, have mercy. You don't see anything in their life other than asking for mercy. If you look at the Christian part of Jacob's 10 brothers' life, only thing they can know, will you have mercy, Lord? Will you have mercy, Lord? That is the story of many Christians' life. Their history with God is only connected with, Lord, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? Caught in this cycle. Don't get caught in that cycle. Because you miss, you may make it there, but you will miss your destiny. Don't miss your destiny. Even at the end of the story in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 50, verse 50, now Jacob is dying. Joseph's brother saw that their father was dead and they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. Meaning at your deathbed. No. When calamity takes place, when death is close, or no, these things happen, you are never sure about what Jesus' reaction to you is. You have no assurance of salvation. You have no boldness to go to God and say, Lord, there's no assurance. And many may actually repay us for all the evil we did to him. How many times Joseph has to tell them, forgiven brothers, forgiven brothers, I love you. They are not able to believe. They're still repenting. And in the next verse, we don't have to go. They will go and ask for mercy and Joseph Christ. So many people actually face the end of their lives either in fear or what we say in English, Dutch courage or false courage, which is not based on scripture. Did Jesus really forgive me of my sins? Don't build your life on false foundations. First foundation is repentance from dead works. Let me ask you this question. Where did King Saul go wrong? Let's go back to that illustration again. Where did King Saul? He was wrong here, yes. But more than that, he was wrong here. There are a lot of people who repent. That doesn't bring you salvation. You have to repent. Sins are forgiven. But that doesn't mean you can go to heaven. But they have no faith towards God. You think Hindus don't repent? You think Muslims don't repent? You think Catholics don't repent? You think atheists don't repent? They do. Repentance has got nothing to do with God. You are aware I did something wrong and you say sorry. That's all. Forgive me. A lot of atheists put things right. But they have no faith towards God that brings salvation. And there's only one name given. What is that name? The name of Jesus. Now your salvation is not dependent upon your work. It is dependent upon the work of Christ. So what do good religious people do? Whether you are a good Hindu or a good Muslim or a good atheist or a Plenty of good atheists. Absolutely. I always felt that in India, one of the best CMs, ideology was wrong, but one of the best CM was, you probably guys wouldn't even know, was Mani Sarkar of Tripura. You had to look at his bank balance to know how he could rule a state for donkey's ears and never take money. In India. 
and how a simple life the chief minister of a state lived. You know? So there are many, many good Catholics too. A.K. Antony, defense minister, went into the defense minister, came out with one suitcase, went in, came out with one suitcase. And when as defense minister, when people came to him and said, sir, uh, this thing, widow pension, this thing, and he looked by the rules, he could, they couldn't, uh, he couldn't sign that sign because it was against the rule. He signed a check, personal check from his salary and give it to them. That doesn't take you to heaven. Doesn't take you to heaven. Benefits society doesn't take you to heaven. Because for heaven, there's the second thing. What is faith towards God? Entirely on the work God has done. Nothing of your work. Nothing of your work. So Saul had a level of repentance. First Samuel 15 verses 24 and 25. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord, your words, because I feared the people, obeyed their voice. Therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship. Did he repent? Yes, he acknowledges sin. He wanted to go back, ask forgiveness for sins. The next one, later chasing David. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul. Saul said, is that your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded. Yeah. Did I give you all that? Okay. You are more righteous than I, for you have rewarded me with good, where I have, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. You have shown this day how you have dealt well with me, for when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. If a man finds his enemy, will he let him go? Get away safely. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. For I know indeed that you will surely be king and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hands. See, he did have a repentant heart when it came to man. But he had absolutely no faith to turn to God and receive salvation. That's a problem with a lot of people. And we look at them and say, that's the question a lot of unbelievers ask. They're such nice people. How can you say they will not go to heaven? Because if you are going to heaven based on your good works, then what did Jesus die for? And how does the holy God judge the sins you have done? Heaven is a holy place. Your sin has to be tackled. In a criminal court, they are not asking about your good behavior. They are looking at which all laws you broke. Judgment seat of Christ is that. So did you put your faith on Christ? It's a second question. Repentance in itself makes no difference if you do not turn to God and to Christ. Christ, a God in Christ. Because every religion, there is repentance. Yet if you have turned to God in repentance, you don't need to go dip yourself in the river over and over again. Believers don't get baptized over and over again because once they're baptized, they know you're saved. They keep repenting, but they know they're saved. You don't have to go to a holy pilgrimage, a particular place over and over again. Why are you going over and over again? No assurance of salvation. There's no power in itself. That's what Acts chapter 10, 5 and verse 31, actually the one. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior. It is he who gives forgiveness of sins and remission of sins. You repent and you look to him. When you look to him, he gives you remission of sins. Understand the one and two blocks go together. 
in Acts chapter 10, Peter in Cornelius' house will put it away even more beautifully. He says, we are witnesses of all the things which you did both in the land of Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly. Not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness through his name. Whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Repentance and you have to believe in Christ. The work he did at all. That's why we always sing that famous hymn or we, we know that famous hymn, just as I am I've come. You cannot bring any work before, even a good work. That's why God says your good works are like filthy rags before me if you want remission of sins. Your remission of sins comes one, a repentant heart. You have turned from this and you turn towards God and ask for mercy only to Jesus and Jesus alone. Repentance should be turning from whatever it is and turning to Christ, not good works. The only work God will accept is the work of Christ. And it's a very humbling thing for a good person to turn to Christ for our least to our biggest sin. To the least. That's the humbling part. Biggest sin we will go to Christ. Yeah, I killed two people. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Now, even all my money will not work with the lawyer and the court. It is not enough. So, Lord, forgive But small. The problem is from the smallest to the biggest, only Christ. Nothing else. Your prayer is not accepted. Your fasting is not accepted. Your giving is not accepted for the forgiveness of sins. Your charity is not accepted. Your 500 feeding of orphans or beggars, nothing is accepted. Absolutely nothing is accepted. Your 40 years of stellar, selfless service is not accepted. You want forgiveness of sin? Look to Christ and Christ alone because his work alone, as Pastor Vijay was leading, he was bruised for our iniquities. He was chastised for our sins and it was upon him God put the sin and when we look at him and say, Lord, I believe, God says, you're forgiven. Remission of sins. And it's a very humbling thing. Very, very humbling thing. That's why the dichotomy between religion and authentic Christianity. Because in authentic Christianity, Jesus said, I have come to save the sinners. And the first step of salvation is you have to accept you are a sinner. While another religion, the big person over there, he says, I have come to save the righteous and destroy the sinners. That's an entirely different thing. And then, you know what? Salvation is in your hands. So you have to get your foundation right. And that is one thing Saul couldn't do. He never had a foundation of turning to God. Really never foundation. He tried it late in life, but it was, we say in English, too little, too late. Too little. There's a very interesting words put there in, the, in his life. After an incredible battle which his son won for him and all. He's, a, he's an older man now. Look at him. Then Saul built an altar to the Lord. This was the first altar that he built to the Lord. First altar. Meaning, you've been in church for 15 years. Then you heard this message 
And you go back and you go to God and Lord, I'm looking to you. But you know what? It doesn't seem to impact your life. Because a little later you're back, your default setting has set in. And you find it difficult to go back to that place. Because you never had the habit of going back to that place. This is a spiritual discipline. That is why Abraham is the great one. Because you look at his life from the point he entered into Canaan. Wherever God got him to move, there is always an altar. And he met God. He goofed up in Egypt. Next thing, run to the altar. Puts it right. Abraham's life is defined by altars. Even unto the end, he ties his son on the altar. While Isaac's life is defined by wells. Because as a young man, he had allowed himself to be tied to an altar. So he begins from the altar. Now he's digging the well for fresh manna from God. For young people, you begin from the altar, you will dig deep. You will dig deep. You will dig deep. God has his ways. We cannot change his ways. So too little, too late. So he never could really. And then comes that incredible, terrible, dark day of his life. He's going to die in a day or two or maybe that day. Or in a couple of days, two days, three days, four days, whatever days. Look at First Samuel. The Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together. They camped at Shiloh. When Saul saw the army of Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Was drastic. He's just going to die. Very soon he's going to die. And he's trying everything. Lord, no dream. God speaks in dreams in the old covenant. Urim is which the high priest wore. And the high priest is it's almost magical. <laughs> the anointing is there. And the high priest can speak because of the Urim he's wearing. It is through that God speaks through this man. God refused to speak through the high priest. And all the prophets who were there, we don't know. All their mouths were silenced. God said, don't speak to that man. See, this is the end of his life and end of many lives. Why? Because they are tormented. They are tormented. Heart is trembling. Tormented by evil spirits and bad dreams. And they are powerless to turn to God. And when they turn, God is silent. Tormentors. Because you learned, you did not learn to get your foundations early. Now, how old are you, Saul? Let's imagine he became king at 25 or 30. Saul is now 40 years he's been king. 65 years old and he's going to die. He's not able to repent He's not able to pray. Connect with God. And he will die. A terrible die. Why? Because God says now, that is in there and you are tormented in your mind. You are not able to sleep. And if you sleep, it's all your torment. And Jesus had said it very carefully in Luke chapter 6, verse 46 to 49. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. 
He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When you hit the rock, Paul will say no other foundation but Jesus Christ. When you hit the rock, the first two bricks you put is repentance from dead works. Your good work is a dead work if you are looking at it for salvation and faith towards God. The stream, the flood came. The stream beat vehemently against that house. Could not shake it for it was founded on the rock. But you heard and did nothing. Is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation. Against which the stream beat vehemently. Immediately it fell and the ruin of the house was great. The ruin of Saul's house was great. You don't know when the flood will come. You don't know when the storm will hit. But the problem is when it hits you you will suddenly realize all you have is the absence of God and the presence of evil, surrounded by evil torment. Torment. Matthew 18 and verse 34, God says, it's because you didn't put your foundation right. What it says, his Lord was wroth, angry, and delivered him to the tormentors. He said, didn't I tell you 30 years ago to forgive? You didn't forgive, right? Now, how many days do you have left to die? Three days to die. Are you able to forgive? Oh, David, my son, where are you? You chased him for how many years? There was one man who could have saved you in this situation. But he's the man you chased all these years. You wouldn't just let go of your past. Now the past has come back and it's haunting you in your last days. And since no one knows when they will die, whether you are young or old, see your blocks are absolutely firm. You see, your life should not end like Saul or many others. Our life, because of Christ, the spirit of Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Every true believer who runs this race and allows the foundation stones are all laid and is building and running and running, fighting, should end his life allowing Christ to speak through his or her life. It should be a prophetic life. Because you're growing. Look at another man, how he ends his life. Old man, last day of his life. Scripture says, Jacob called his sons and said, gather together. Come here, old man, blind. He's not able to see you too. He's getting up in his bed for one more time and he says, all you till." Come all of you. Stand around your father. I have something to tell you. What I tell you is your future, your children's future, your grandchildren's future. It is the future of Israel. One more I need to speak to you. That's a prophetic end. Not, Bete, jagada mat karna, dhan ke upar jagada mat karna, divide and rule, please. No, united, don't fight, divide and rule. Uska vithoda, not that. Let me tell you about your prophetic future. Prophetic future. Right on the last day, because the theme of that convention, youth convention, you know, was arise. Last on the last day when I was ministering to them, I said, this is what the Lord is telling me. Many will arise. Many will fall. Some of you need to arise like the prodigal son from the pig pen and go back to your father's house. Some of you, like Jacob, God will tell you, arise and go and finish your destiny. It's God speaking. It's got nothing to do with me. 
And when God speaks, you don't try to please people and say, oh, no. God speaks, you tell them, this is your destiny. And eat, some are blessings, some are curses over his own sons. Prophetic voice. That's how you should end your life and say, but that conclusion does not come if your foundation is wrong. There is a conclusion based on the beginning and how you built after that. And the foundation building blocks all through your life is this repentance and faith towards God. Repent, believe. Repent, believe. As you keep hearing the word change, because if you don't change, you become very resistant to the word of God. So you will see the most resistant set of people to the word of God in Israel was Israel. And in the new covenant was the Jews. The Gentiles all believed. You see the same thing happening. And God says, don't. That's why people always wonder, why do we preach so much on foundation one and two? Because they are the most important building blocks in kingdom math. Don't be complacent about this. You want to see complacence? Read Genesis 35 verses 27 to 29. Now Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre or Kirjath Arab, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days, and his son Esau and Jacob buried him. You see that? Do you see Isaac speaking anything? Do you see his last words? Do you see any spirit of prophecy working through Isaac? Though he birthed Israel, nothing. Complacency cost him. He began incredibly well, ran up for an incredible season, incredibly well. And no prophetic voice. We'll come to that later. Fundamentals should be very, very strong. If you go wrong in the units level, the damage will be lasting. If you go wrong in the tens level, digits, it can be Incredibly damaging. Fundamentals should be strong. That's why every time there is a stock market going on in US, the Federal Reserve will come and say, you don't have to worry. The fundamentals of US economy is strong. Don't look at this and worry. Our fundamentals are strong. That's how he reassures. Next day he says that, oh, the stock market goes up. Because if your fundamentals are weak, it will go like this. Your fundamentals. There are a lot of men and women in the Bible, in church history. They, they were sinners. They fell terribly. But why were they were bold like lion? Because their fundamentals were very strong. They had the life of repentance and they knew their God. They knew their God. Therefore, they were incredibly bold. Our boldness comes from these two things. Before God, we are humble. Before the world, we are like a lion. We are not afraid. We are not scared. Because we know in whom we have put our faith. You need to have that, that Lord, help me to finish. The question is, when storms hit your life, real storms hit your life, can you say my fundamentals are strong? Or is God warning us, you now, be careful. Be careful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 6 to 12, there's a whole list. We'll just look at one. 
And we'll continue. But we'll read the whole list, okay? This is Jesus telling, uh, Paul, the Holy Spirit telling us about Israel and teaching us. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did and in one day 23,000 fell. Let us not tempt Christ as some of them also tempted were destroyed by the servants. Nor complain as some of them also complained and destroyed by the destroyers. Now all these things happened to them as examples. They were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And scripture says, therefore let him think, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he falls. Better be careful. You think you are standing, but you don't realize you've gone wrong in your unit level. You've gone wrong in your tense level. But you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you're running with the power. You don't realize a day will come when none of these things will work. Because you went wrong here. This won't work on that day. God says, be very, very careful. Just look at that simple thing. Okay? Uh, Verse 7. And do not become idolaters as were some of them. As it is written, people sat down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. Rose up to eat, drink, and rise up to play. Question God is asking, if you're young or older, it doesn't matter. Do you struggle with food and entertainment? That's the point. Do you struggle with food? Because they go together. They go together. If you're obsessed with food, then if you have come here, you will love food, then I have to change my message and entertain you and not train you. A lot of churches have become entertainment centers. They are not training centers. And you look at the crowds and say, wow, nothing. You listen to the messages that is not even watered down milk. I don't think there's any milk in it. They're not preparing them for heaven. They're actually preparing them for slaughter. And God is saying, do you struggle with these things? Be careful. Lest you fall. Do you think this is small? Do you think this is small? Look at Genesis 35, 27 to 29 again. Jacob came to his father. Now the last days of Isaac were 180 years. And so Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people being old and full of days. And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. Now go to one little line mentioned about Isaac when his children were born. Go back to that. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his He loved his food. Let us say, we do not know, let us say it is six, let us say for arbitrary number. Sixty years old was Jacob when he ran away from his father's house or he was sent by his father. How old was he? Sixty. If he was sixty years old, then Isaac was, Isaac was how many years old when Jacob was born? Sixty years old. Now sixty years, that is Abraham. Okay, and now he's hundred and twenty. At what age did Isaac die? Sixty years. There is nothing happening in his life. Absolutely nothing happening in his life. Nothing. 60 years. Nothing happening in his life. An incredible man with an incredible start with a false end. You know why? Because you took some of those lessons casually. 
compassion. And I'm, wherever I go, I'm very tough with pastors and others about it. Shall I have that picture? I want to see our pastor in that other country. Can I have that picture? You see this young man? When I last, first met him, maybe he was 15 or 16 years old. So he must be 36 years old now. Look at him. The picture took two days back, three days back. When I met him last time in Bhutan, he was 79 kilos. And he's shorter than me. And I told him, son, the problem is there will be a day when God really wants to use you. Let not your body be a hindrance for you. And I told him one thing, and I preached. I didn't realize he told me. It hit him like anything in the message I preached. Body for the Lord. No, food for the stomach, stomach for the food, both will be destroyed. You know what? He went on an exercise and a regime, and he lost 19 kilos in six months. And you know, the last text he sent me last night, sir, he calls me sir, thank you for the word you have spoken into my life. I will guard this temple. It belongs to God. You think these are jokes in the Bible? These are things connected with your destiny. Not salvation. Destiny. Destiny. Because there are two things that happen in the world. One thing is this. You see in the world, I'm not talking about the church, in the church also in the world, people who do not know God or never took interest in the real things of God, but they understood biology and medical science and all, they ate well, they exercised well, and now they are 90 years old, 95 years old, and BBC and all will talk about how they walk without stick and how they can do all, Ginsburg, RBG. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the 86-year-old Supreme Court Justice of United States. This is the first time in 25 years she has missed a hearing. She has gone through two surgeries and two water bone replacement and all, but she's fit because she has an exercise program and a diet. There are a lot of people in the world who are fit in their body because they took care of the body, but God cannot use them even to pick change from the road because their soul is totally disconnected from God. That's one thing. Absolutely fit body, but useless for God. Then there are others. Incredible souls, incredibly can be used by God, unfit body. Unfit body. I told all, tell the young, all the young pastors, you need to realize, if you continue growing with God, you actually become more and more useful to Him when you grow older. Because you really start understanding the depth and the ways of God. Don't let your body shut you down at that age. Don't. Don't. Don't take these things lightly. Don't make life into a game to eat, to drink, and rise up to play. Don't have regrets in your life. Lord, here I am. But I cannot get up. God is merciful. So some of them, he uses them to write books from their bed and testimonies and whatever that, but that was not what it was meant to be. It was much more. So you need to realize God's word is the truth. Whether we accept or not, we need to, as soon as we hear it, if your foundations are great, you go back to your foundational things, Lord, I repent. And today I start changing my life. I'm repenting of my old lifestyle and I'm looking towards you. I receive your word. I receive your power. I'm starting now. That's how foundations work. Your foundation first two blocks are. You can change at any level in life because you have kept yourself open to God. Because change will come much, much, much later. 
You don't know what year change will come. But if you have built on this block, even if God is asking you at 80 to make a radical shift in your life, your mind and your body cooperates because you have built it on God's holy foundations. That's how the kingdom of God is built. So, so many things which you hear today, you neglect it, you laugh over it without realizing it will cost you. Later, if it costs Isaac, it can cost any one of us. While David's life is a classic example of a success story. The reason is because his foundations were unbelievably solid. The first two building blocks, repentance from dead works, and faith towards God. And if you look at his life, he was hit by three of the greatest major demonic storms you can think of. First one was fear, which Jacob struggled with. Second was lust. And third was pride. And these failings of his because of these storms cost lives, many lives. Yet, how he will bounce back is only because how firm his initial foundations always were. In First uh, Samuel 27 verse 1, I didn't give it to you, I'm sorry. First Samuel 27 verse 1, this is where his 16 months of darkness begins. David said in his heart, now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. He feared, fear came in. Oh, Saul is chasing, chasing me. One day he will catch me and he will kill me. So let me do one thing. Let me go into the Philistine territory. There began a slide into incredible moral darkness. Ethical moral darkness he went in. Sixteen months later, I believe when I study David's life, he reaches the worst day in his entire life. If you look at him in that point, if you look at his past and look at his future, I don't think he will ever face a day, the, the, a crisis like he failed. Painful maybe later, but a crisis like this. Maybe painful also the worst day in his life. And you will see it's actually rock bottom in his life. How can a man come out of that? 16 months you have walked in darkness. You haven't prayed. You haven't asked God. You have walked in darkness, done all kind of crazy stuff. You built something on, on ill-gotten wealth. And now when you come back, this is what happens. First Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 to 6. This is 16 months later. It happened when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, attacked Ziglag, burned it with fire. This is his town where he had left his families, 600 soldiers, a town with their families, children. Burned it with fire. They saw the whole thing burning. Taken captive, the women and those who were there from small to great, all their wives, children, all gone. They did not kill anyone but carried them away and went their way. They did not know they were not killed. We know in hindsight they were not killed. And then David and his men came to the city and there it was burned with fire. Their wives, their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. They know what captors do with their sons and daughters. Sons are sold as slaves. Daughters are made it into slaves, concubines, wives. Wives are made it into concubines. They're looking with horror. Everything gone. Everything gone. David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no power to weep. It hit them like a tsunami. They cried and cried and cried. Family gone, children gone, and they know what these tribes, marauding tribes, raiders do to your wives and your children. And they are howling out. David's two wives, Ahinom and Abigail, 
had been taken captive. And David was greatly distressed. On top of that, he started hearing something. He has 600 soldiers. And he heard them so angry. All these years, we followed this man, Falto fellow. Look at him. Because of him, well, that's exactly the language they may have asked him. We don't want a leader like them. And they were talking about, let's just kill him. Stone him to death. Every man was grieved for But foundations kicked in. All alone. Your friends for so many years against you. Family, children gone. Wealth gone. City burned. All alone. Darkest moment. At that point, foundations kicked in. Repentance from dead works. And faith towards God. He went to God. And he knew God. He said, Lord, you are a merciful God. I know, Lord. I am, I have goofed up. I repent. Forgive me, Lord. This is a man who knew his God. So he knew not only how to repent, also to turn to God. Because the next cry in verse 7 is, Abiathar, bring me the effort. Did you see that? Abiathar, bring me the effort. Do you want to see the contrast? See the contrast in 28 verse 6. Saul inquired of the Lord. The Lord did not answer him either by dreams or urim or prophets. Here is a man who did not walk with God for 16 months. Did all these despicable things. Everybody is against him. He repents, turns to God and says, Lord, answer me. Immediately God answers. Difference between two people. Because of foundations. David inquired of the Lord saying, Shall I pursue this truth? Shall I overtake him? And he answered him, What should I do in this crisis? Are you able to hit rock bottom and able to shut the door of your bedroom and run to your Bible and say, Lord, what do I do? Do you receive an answer? You will if your foundations are right. It doesn't matter what crisis you go through because we have a God who answers. God says, pursue. Overtake. Not only you, I'm giving a promise. You will recover everything you have lost in life. One side, no dreams, no urim, no profit. Another side, instant answer. You need to realize both of this is happening almost at the same time. On one side, Saul is crying out because the Philistines are coming. Same time. Here, David is crying out because he has lost everything. God refuses to answer that man. God answers this man. Why? Foundation was strong. How do you want your life to be when the day of evil comes? Question is, will you be able to stand? Will you be able to stand a storm like this? Ephesians 6 verse 13 says, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. You see, in the darkest day of his life, David stood. And because he stood as a leader, did not break, his soldiers all fell in line. All fell in line. Fell in line. Fundamentals are very, 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 very strong. Can we go when those hours come in our life or we are unable to pray? Unable to open our Bible, it looks like a foreign book to us. We hear nothing. 
All we can do is sit there and gnash our teeth. God says, you can gnash there, you can gnash there also. He's literally living on the foundation. So I'm putting the last 16 months put it to death. I've learned the lesson, Lord. I will not give in to fear. Fear can be overcome and I will replace it with faith. And I am living in the reality of who you are. Pursue. Receive power. That's the third baptism of the Holy Spirit. A constant infilling. Lord, this is the day I have to pursue. This is the day I need strength. I need power today, not tomorrow. Tomorrow is too late. I need power today. Do you believe? That according to your situation, power is also elevated because everything is then connected to face towards God. Baptism, baptism of the Holy Spirit, laying of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, everything is connected through faith. That's why the second block is very important. Without the second block, nothing will work. Just you receive power, you need to realize they are physically exhausted. They have been marching for three days, probably not even eaten well. Yes, three days. Emotionally exhausted because they have lost everything, including their families. Yet, they are ready to fight. Yet, ready to pursue their enemy and fight. Do you see 2019 as that? That I am going to pursue. And I am going to overtake my spiritual enemies. And I am going to recover everything the thief has stolen. Do you see? Because for some... This year should be the year of recovery. What has been taken? Do you have strength? That's why we, we have taken a life. And the whole year began with this five day of fasting. A discipline because we are in a battle. I was telling during that day. Do you remember those 600 people? Who started following David? And this is going to be the greatest hour in David's life. And 200 people said, we are too tired. So David said, fine, sit there, look after the baggage. He goes with 400 and wins. Lord, people, just before the day of glory, say we are too tired. And God says, you know what, in heaven you will be baggage keepers. Because you miss glory. Oh, I fasted for seven days, I'm giving up. Oh, I went to church for 10 years, nothing is changing, I'm giving up. God says, you didn't know. It was about to break through. Complacency won't do. Arise, God says. In First Samuel 38 verse 18, at the end, scripture says, David recovered all. He recovered. He was at his weakest physically. He was the weakest emotionally. But he won his greatest victory. You know why? Because foundations were unbelievably strong. So this is his first fall because of fear. And you will never see in his life after that he ever giving in to fear. He's overcome that giant. And it is regards glory. He wins. Do you know what the next page in that chapter is? Chapter 2, 2 Samuel 1 verse 1 and 2. And it came to pass after the death of Saul when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. David had stayed two days in Ziklag. On the third day, behold, it happened, a man came. So three days they marched, and the third day they reached, they lost everything, they pursued, they overtook, they recovered all, they came back another two days. And third day, he realizes, 
I'm free. Saul is dead. The enemy who was pursuing me all my life is gone. And I'm king. Do you see how close he was to giving up if his foundations were not strong? That's why this is a battle of faith and not of sight. His second fall was because of lust. This time he was not running from Saul in fear. He was running from God. You know Bathsheba, you know the story. He reaches literally the dead end now. His back against the wall and the finger of the prophet at his nose. In 2 Samuel 12 verse 7, you are that man. It's literally a make or break situation for him spiritually. He's caught like King Saul kind of moment. Many years ago, Prophet Samuel had accosted King Samuel in a similar situation, different sin. He can either deny, I didn't do that. Or he can say, I have obeyed. Or he could shift the blame like Saul did. People made me do it. He could say, it was not me. Bathsheba made me do it. Different choices. Either deny, nothing like that happened. Were you there? Did you see? Or I am not responsible. She's the one who tempted me. You know, fundamentals really kicked in again. Second Samuel 12 verse 13 says, David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Brings God over there because your sin is against God. It's God who has to forgive, not Bathsheba. I have sinned. God said, God has put away your sin. Read Psalm 51 verses 1 to 4. How incredible the foundation of his life of repentance was. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of tender mercies bolt out. my. This is faith towards God. Not just repentance from dead works or sinful works or terrible works, but faith he knows is God. Wash me thoroughly from iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only I have sinned. And you have done this evil in your sight that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. You're absolutely right. If you say the sword will not pass my house, you are right. If you say my children will die, you are the judge, not me. One thing I will do, I will appeal, but your judgment is just. I will not question your judgment. That's not how people are. A lot of people are like Naomi. They goofed up in their life and then they come back and say, God is against me. David never says that. Never says that. He says, all your judgments against me are right. I goofed up. You are right to deal with me this way. I have no issues, Lord. Repentance, remissions of sins, acceptance of God's verdict, faith towards God. You see, everything kicks in. Fundamentals kicks in. The child is dying. His face down before God. The child is dead. You will see even again fundamentals kick in. Samuel 12 verse 20. David arose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, changed his clothes, went to the house of the Lord and you see, the great calamity, he's losing his first child in his life. You don't know what it is, lose your first child, first one of your children, first death in your family. He's losing his first kid in his family. What is the end of the death? 
question. Fundamentals are absolutely strong. Kicks in. No raging of fists. No tearing of hair. Not blaming everybody. Nothing. It's worship. And worship in verse 22 and 23. Yeah. For the Lord will not first. Yeah. He said. The the, the servants asked. Lord what are you doing? How can you react like this? He said. Alive. I fasted, wept, for I reset. Who can tell where the Lord will be gracious to me that the child may live? But now he's dead. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Do you see his fundamentals? Absolutely. He says, this is a baby. He's dead. And I know one thing. I know the resurrection of the dead. And I know eternal judgment. I know what I did. I know who has cleared me. I know where he has gone. I know where I am going. His foundations are absolutely perfect. Do you have that confidence? It's all based on God. You will not hear him say that when Amnon is killed. You will not hear him say that when Absalom is killed. When Absalom is killed, he cries like Absalom. Absalom, I wished I had died on your behalf. He knows he's God. He is not sure Amnon will be there. He knows that Absalom is not going to be there. But he knows this one will be there and he knows where he's going. That is a man who weathered his storms. You know why he weathered his storms? Through life, death, hostility, incredible sin and all he came through because he's built his life on the rock. Foundations have to be strong. Absolutely, absolutely strong. Let me quickly go through. And the third incredible fall of David was because of pride. Three things. One was fear, one was lust, and the other was pride. Let's have chronicles. Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. He said to Job and said, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Job said, Lord, 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 please, 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 please don't do that. That's why I said don't get excited by numbers. I hate it when people, when I go to a mission, people ask me how many people were there. It's irrelevant. As if Jesus died only for numbers. And pastors have it built in. Unless I have such a gathering, I will not come. It's not good for my reputation. When they see on TV, I went to preach to this place, only 50 people turned up. Minimum 500, otherwise I'm not coming. Forget 500. There are others who put bigger numbers because it's about their reputation. He counted his numbers. Job said, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are, but my Lord, my King, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does my Lord recover? God had said very clearly, don't count. Then you shall put your this thing on numbers. People count in so many ways. They count their money. They count the years of service. They count all the certificates they have gone. God says, foolish fellow, don't you know your life is required today? What are you going to do with your certificates? Where are you going to take it? There's only one certificate that matters. When you come there, I should give you a certificate. Well done. You know, this numbering business is all connected with pride. We number many things. And God punished. Word 7 will tell you God punished. Let's see. Again, come listen to the next verse. Can we go to words? God gives him three choices. It's a multiple answer question. Choice A, choice B, choice B. No, there is no D, A, B, C. This is it. Yeah, verse 7. The prophet, 
God was displeased with this thing and therefore he struck Israel. Struck Israel. And verse 8. David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. Now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant for I have done very foolishly. He struck Israel, but he repents and says, it's my fault. You see, fundamentals kicking in. It's my fault, not their fault. It's my fault. Look at verse 9 to 12. The Lord spoke to God, David seared, saying, go tell David, saying, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. You should never get these three things from God in life. Okay. I offer you three things. Choose one for them yourself. Answer is left to you. I may do it for you. I will do it for you. You choose. I will do it for you. What is the three things? Either three years of famine in your entire country or three months to be defeated by your force. Your enemies will defeat you and you will be running before your enemies and not your enemies running before you. Or three days of the sword of the Lord or I will. Look, look at how God is bringing it down. If it's nature... Three years. If it is man, three months. If it is me, three days. What do you want? What do you want? You know what he says? Consider what answer I should take back to him who sent him. David said to God, I am in great distress. Please let me fall in the hand of the Lord, for for his mercies are very great. And do not let me fall into the hand of man. He says, I know my God. Let me fall into his hands. I know he's merciful. Though he says three days, I know him. I know him. He could stop any time during that three days, which is exactly what happened. 70,000 died and the angels lifted the sword to start on Jerusalem and God said, stop. Stop it. Stop it. Because he's grieving. David is grieving. He stopped. See how the foundations kick in? Verse 16, 17, let's look. David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And verse 17, David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house. You cut me off, cut my line off. Don't harm the people, please. But no one, against, not against your people, that they should be plagued. See? And God stopped this. That's why he said, let me fall in the hands of God, because he knew his God. The question is, are your foundations so strong that you, you have repentance from dead works and incredible faith towards God, because you know your God. You know your God as a tough God, and also as a merciful God. You know God, consider the kindness of God and the severity of God. Do you know both? And David knew both. When he saw the severity of God, he repented and he turned to the kindness of God and he appealed. God says, this is foundations. And he makes that incredible statement in life. You see in Samuel 20.20 and 1 Chronicles 21.24 also when Aruna, he says, I have to offer an sacrifice here now to stop the death. And he says, please take all the oxen, everything that you want. And David said to Oran, no, Ornan, no, I will surely buy it for the full price for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. He says, I will never give to God something that has not cost me. That's something which you need to always ask yourself in life. 
what has it cost me to sacrifice to my God? Otherwise, it's not a sacrifice. How is our life built? How is the life built? David has two choices. The judgment will stop. Either he can take Ornan's animal and sacrifice it, or he can buy it from Ornan and sacrifice it. If he does the first, it is Ornan's sacrifice. If he does the second, it is David's sacrifice. Let me ask you this question. Is your spiritual life built on somebody else's sacrifice? That you walk through life saying, I am prospering while others are fasting and praying? Someday, you have to wake up from this complacency and say, Lord, I will be counted. I will be counted. You know, let's, let's talk about India. We have this huge border with Pakistan, China, and then Burma, and Bangladesh. And of course, Sri Lanka, you don't have to worry except for drugs. But this side, you have soldiers who are day and night guarding the border. Okay? One set of soldiers in the Indian army, like in no other army in the whole world. They are, in 12 years, they haven't shot a single bullet. But for 12 years, they are there in a place called Siachen. In Siachen, the minimum is minus 18 and it can go up to minus 55. Your posting is only for three months. After that, you may not even survive. And we have lost 850 soldiers in all these years in Siachen without a shot being fought. They died because of the cold. Okay, because of the cold. And if you join the Indian Army and if you have to go to Siachen, most will be disqualified because they will say your body parameters, you cannot survive there. You cannot survive there. You have BP, sugar, heart is weak, whatever, limbs, everything. You cannot. That you cannot. Okay? It takes three hours to heat the ice to get enough water to have a little wash. They eat from cans. And there's a story about, and when they move, they all tie each other with a rope to each other so they don't get lost and die. Okay? And even when they go to a toilet, which is further away from the fabricated tent, it's a hole is dug when they go. And when and they tie a rope and they go. And one soldier didn't come back. And when they pulled him up, he was dead. Stories of Siachen. And you go to Bangalore and maybe Hyderabad and all that, you will see those who retired and came back from them sitting in milk booths and selling milk without realizing the price they paid to keep you and me safe. They are the real soldiers, the greatest. And you have to hear how they survive. Many of them come back after three months, frostbitten, limbs are gone and all. But they obey a command and they are there day and night. Okay? Now we gave you a real, real example is this. Can you serve God at that altitude? I'm not talking about Siachen. I'm talking about spiritual altitude. We will see in heaven those who served at the spiritual siachans and we were kept safe because they served there. They served there. They fasted. Do you hear about a lady in the new covenant when it begins? When Jesus is brought to the temple? She was a widow for 60 or 70 years. 
And scripture says she never left the temple. And she has spent her entire life, 60 years, 70 years, a woman who is not allowed to go beyond the outer courts. She can't go there and she won't go out. She spent 60, 70 years in fasting and praying. And therefore when Jesus came, she recognized and pointed him to the people and said, this is the redemption of Israel. These are warriors. These are not jokers. These are warriors. Christendom is full of spiritual jokers. God says, do you know? Do you know what you are in? It's a race. And it's a battle. God is saying, how strong are our fundamentals? How strong are we building our life on? How strong are we building? Because most of you are young. And if Jesus dare you to come, you may have a very difficult, many sleepless nights, many fastings, all that. It's all okay. But there, Daniel says, those who brought many, 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 many. You know, one thing I know about, when Paul gets his crown, his crown will be shared by Stephen. God won't forget, but in case God just keeps quiet, he will take it and say, Stephen, you died, I lived. That's a question God is asking about. How are we building our lives? Storms will come. Incredible storms will come. I look at David and I say, what a man. Who can stand there with all that emotional trauma, physical exhaustion, three days, people against you, family gone, and stand with God. Then one son rapes his stepsister and son is dead. This one is fled. Another son takes over the throne and his father runs away. That son is dead. He still stands. He's an old man. And then he again he hears, another son is trying to usurp the throne while he's, and he still, still rises up and says, call Zadok. Call Nathan. Take my donkey. Put this son. Proclaim him king. Knowing very well, if he does this, this will die. And if he doesn't do this, this will die. Let God's will be done. What a man. Lifting up one child and declaring the death of another. Knowing God is supreme in his life. You know what foundations mean in life? It means a lot of people God is not able to use. It's simply because we are not working on our foundations. Because the more you go, the greater is going to be the battle. And if your foundations are not strong, you will not rise. You will not rise. As you are young, build on good foundations, especially the first two, the most important. Have a life of repentance and have a life of faith towards God. When you have faith towards God, any of us who comes to God must believe that He is. Know who He is. Know your God. And love. That's why scripture says, grow in the knowledge of God. Don't go by some fairy tale which you read about Jesus in Amar Chitra Kada. That is not the Jesus. Or some Hollywood movie or Bollywood movie, Noah and all. None of these movies, even Samson movie, one preacher was showing in that three-day camp. I was so disgusted because it had nothing to do with the Bible. 
corrupting young minds. They need to be taught from the word, not through the screen, unless the screen and the word tallies. Because your faith can be established only by the word, and the word through the spirit reveals who our God is. God is. So this morning we will stand. We will stand and we will go back to God and say, this is an incredible year. Incredible year. And in this incredible year, it's the year of recovery and battle. In Luke 18, verse 28 to 30, this is what Jesus says. Did I give it to you, Samuel? And you have to look at it, what Jesus actually says. Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. First thing is that, decide in your life, right now in your heart, Lord, I leave to follow. Because those who haven't left, won't follow. And those who have left and followed, have incredible promises of God in this life and in the life to come. He said to them, assuredly I say to you, there is no one who has left house, or parents, or brothers, or wife, or children, for the sake of the kingdom of God, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. God says, you think I will be, I will be indebted to you because you sacrifice for me? Scripture says, God is no man's debt. He says, if you have left, lost for me, he says, in this present time, and I'm telling you, 2019, if you know you gave up a lot in life to pursue the king and the kingdom, look at 2019 as a year of recovery. Year of recovery. Believe, because you need to believe from word. You cannot believe just, I believe for this. Where did God say that? Here has he said it, eternal life. And persecution too. That's also there. If I'm right in the next verse or another place, it will say also persecution. With persecution. There will be battles ahead. It's not that you take all the crowns now. He says you will have to fight for it also. Proof, Old Testament, Job 42 and verse 12. A man who lost everything and clung to God through all his dark hours. And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job. Say that. All those who are older and if we have left and followed Jesus, I am beginning my latter days. And I believe I'll be blessed more in my latter days than in my former days. My eyes nor my ears have seen what God is going to do through me and for me. Because I know whom I have followed. Latter days. More than his beginning. Meaning there is a former reign. And there is a latter reign. And God says, your latter reign shall be greater than the former. Believe. And all my other churches around the world, when you listen to this, believe. This is the year it begins. And all of you young people willing to give up for God, even if it's a meal or 10 minutes of prayer in the morning, be willing to give up. To give up for God. Not for yourself, not for health, but for God. For God. And you will see how God repays it back. Because God is true to his word. He will be no man's debtor. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. 
We come to you in the light of who you are. Revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ and your eternal word. We come to you, Father. And I pray, Father, to us as a church and as individuals, you will always give us the gift of repentance and that faith always towards you. Not in us, not in our prayer, not in our works, not in our name, not in our reputation, but our faith in you. In your mercy, in your goodness. In your severity, and therefore with he take warning, and also in kindness so that we don't lose hope. I pray, Father, we will stand firm. When the storm clouds gather, when the evil days come, we'll be able to stand, O Lord. And when everything is over, each storm is over, like David, we should be able to stand, O Lord. And it should be written about each one of us, what it is written about David in his end. David fulfilled God's purpose in his generation and rested with his fathers. I pray, Father, we too will fulfill our your purpose in our lives, in our generation. And I pray, Father, that you will give us, when we come to the end, you will give us a prophetic voice till the end. That the Spirit of Christ will never stop speaking through our lives till our last day, till our last breath, Lord. We will have a word to speak because we built our life on the rock and not on the sand, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. As we go into another week, I pray that you would bless us and you would keep us. You would put a hedge of protection around your people, especially around their ears and their minds, that what they have heard will not be stolen. And there will be boldness in our spirits, man, Lord, that we will go back and build our foundations if it was not right, Lord. Give us that perseverance, O Lord, because you have promised in our word that we should persevere and we will see the latter rain, Lord. Like Noah, like Job, not give up, but to persevere like the farmer does, Lord, and do things by faith, because you are a faithful God. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, we worship you, Lord. We glorify you, Lord. Just surrender your church into the hands of your people everywhere, Lord. Protect us and keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.